Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we thank you for new beginnings. We thank you for a brand new year, Lord. We thank you for the way it's a, a picture of the gospel, a picture of how you have forgiven all of our debts in Christ and that we can have a totally fresh start. And uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for that. We thank you for new beginnings with this church, Lord, the way that you blessed it uh, in really surprising ways with leadership and people with gifting and um, Lord, the way that you've impacted lives. And we just pray, Lord, for this church. It is your church. Um, your son is the head of this church. And we pray, Lord, for your direction. We th- pray for your empowerment, Lord. We pray for your wisdom. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would save many uh, in and through this church. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're starting a series in Proverbs. Uh, and you got cards for that. It's called Love Wisely. And it's a relationship series in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we'll be back to Galatians. Don't worry. Some of you guys are like, why do you, why do you go out of Galatians? It's because sometimes you need a shift. The, the Bible is rich in different genre and different types of literature and different ways that God speaks to us. And it makes sense to get a balanced diet, you know? If, it, sometimes I'll get a feel if we're going in, in one particular direction for a while that we need to change it up. This series is like our Sermon on the Mount series. It's a lot more practical, geared towards our um, relationships, and so we'll have messages on um, on friendship and on anger and on peacemaking and parenting and a message on sex and money and a message on, you know, how we speak to one another, probably our relationship with the poor. Proverbs has all kinds of stuff, so we'll be mining through and coming out with topics and putting those together with passages from Proverbs. Proverbs is a book about wisdom, and wisdom is, can be defined as skillful living that creates a life of beauty, significance, and strength. So wisdom is skillful living that creates a life of beauty, significance, and strength. And we're all wired to want that, but because of sin, we're also wired to look for it in the wrong places. And so the book of Proverbs directs us back to the Lord to find where true wisdom is and how we should live our lives. And so that's what we'll be looking at. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 4.23. Um, and it's a perfect passage for this morning because uh, it's New Year's Eve, and I love New Year's. Uh, New Year's is actually one of my favorite holidays. Um, it rivals Christmas, believe it or not, for one of my favorite holidays. And I know that's strange, but I just love how it's a picture of the gospel. I love a fresh start. I love to be able to like, plan ahead for things and think through the next year and think through the things that God would want to change in my life and, and how to go after them harder in the next year. I just love this time. I know that a lot of people, though, are cynical because a lot of New Year's resolutions don't get capped and stuff, and so people get real cynical about it, guys. But we believe that true change, guys, in any area is possible, okay? True change in any area is possible. It's one of the gifts of the gospel. The gospel is the gift of forgiveness and freedom from sin, right? And that's a process, and that's something we learn, but it's a real gift. Um, Any resolution that we make, guys, if it's based on a biblical command— can be kept all year by the power of the Spirit. And I know that might be like, whoa, that's saying an awful lot. But I I chose all those words really carefully. Any resolution that's based on a biblical command can be kept all year by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And that does take learning, and it does take practice, and we have to go about it in a biblical way. And this passage this morning shows us where we need to aim our efforts, okay? If we're thinking about some area in our lives that, that the Lord's really calling us to change, where do we want to aim our efforts? And, and this passage tells us we need to aim it at the heart. Take a look at Proverbs 4.23. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And so I want to look at two big questions this morning. I want to look at, like, in 2018, why should we aim at the heart? Like, why should we keep our hearts? And then the second question is, how do we keep our hearts, right? So why should we keep our hearts? How do we keep our hearts? And there's a lot here, and I realize I talk fast and try to do too much in one Sunday, but um, there is a podcast. You could listen to it again. You could put it on three-quarters speed or half speed, you know, and really slow it down. It'll sound like I'm drunk or something, but, um, but it would be slow enough to absorb it. So if you want to do that, we have the podcast for that. But why should we keep our hearts in 2018? First reason is actually not in this text. First reason we should keep our hearts with vigilance, guys, is because God sees our hearts. I think we need to be reminded that God sees our hearts. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. God sees our hearts. That's why we should keep our hearts. Uh, when my son Mason was real little, we were talking one time about God, and we, he, somehow it came up, he said, well, God only sees me when I'm, when I'm outside. He can't see me in the house. And I was like, he can't see in the house. And he had this view of, like, God's above, and he's looking down. So he has kind of like a Google Earth view of the world. You know, he could probably zoom in and stuff, but he looks down. And so when he was in the house, he, he can't see him, you know. And we tend to have a kind of view of that. He doesn't see our insides. That somehow he just sees, like people do, our words and our actions. But when Jesus was talking to Matthew 5, um, he made really clear that God sees our mental um, dispositions, our thoughts, our intentions, our desires, as if they are actions. Um, when Jesus equated lust with adultery and anger with murder, what he's saying is that our thoughts and feelings appear to God as mental actions. He sees it all equally vividly. Isn't that strange? I mean, sometimes we, you know, we're praying. We might pray something, and we, we think, oh, you know, I really should pray about this, but I'm not quite ready to change in that area. Like, well, I'm not going to tell him that now. He hears all that. You know, it's like all the same. Your words and your inner dialogue are all equally audible to him. And guys, if anything would convince you that you're a sinner, that should. I mean, if that doesn't convince you a sinner when you realize everything is laid bare to God. Everything I'm thinking 24 hours a day, everything, every intention, every mood, every feeling, even if I've been really good and holding it in, he hears it, he sees it. And that's why we should keep our hearts with all vigilance, because God sees our hearts. In Matthew uh, 23, verse 25, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup, and the plate, and the outside will be clean also. This is revealing something about how God has fellowship with us. How does God connect with us? Where does he meet us? He meets us in our hearts. And, and it's, it's like if I went over to your house and uh, you say, hey, you want something to drink? Yeah, sure. And you got me like the coolest mug you have, okay? You're like, I'm going to give him the coolest mug I have. And you bring it to me and I take it and I look inside and there's like, there's stuff floating in it, okay? I don't know if you had milk in there before and you left it out, but there's like a ring of goo and there's crusties in there floating around in it. And, you know, maybe I'll politely say like, hey, you mind if I rinse this out? You know, like, you don't have to do it. I'll take care of it. And they're like, Eric, don't be so picky. This is my coolest mug. Right? You would never say that, right? Because, because you drink out of the inside. What he's saying here is that God drinks from our hearts. God has fellowship at the level of our hearts. That's what he sees. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
The place, our heart is the place where we have fellowship with God. It's the place where he enjoys us and we enjoy him. And so just like we wouldn't ever want to give that mug to some human that came into our house, we should not want to present a heart to the Lord that's, that's filthy, right? It's a hospitality issue, really. You know, it's a hospitality issue towards God. And so that's one reason we should keep our hearts. The other reason, though, is in this text. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. It's like a desert spring flows with water and gives life to everything around it. Your heart flows out into your life and into other people's lives, giving them a certain shape of their life. Imagine it this way. If you are hiking in some desert mountains and you're hiking along and you find a, a really green patch of grass, which is really unexpected. You're in the desert. You see this green patch of grass. You walk a little further, there's more. You walk a little further, there's some trees. Maybe there's a little pool. There's some birds and there's deer and they're drinking from the water and stuff like that. You would infer at that point what? You would infer that somewhere there's a spring, right? Somewhere under the ground, there's this reservoir of water under the ground that's bubbling up water and giving life to everything around it, right? Um, I'd like to draw you a diagram. This might be the last one I have. I don't know. I think I have one more diagram in me. Okay. So you're hiking along hillside. Water is coming out, right? And it's giving life to everything. And you would know that somewhere under here, there's a reservoir of water underneath the ground. You can't see it, but it's giving life to everything around it. And what Proverbs 4.23 is saying, that reservoir is your heart. Your heart is that reservoir underneath, deep inside of you that bubbles up and creates everything in your life. And it's important that we start here in this series because as we talk about friendship or work or money or what we say, all these things, all these things gush forward from our heart. So it makes a lot of sense to start with this passage. What flows out of your heart affects your life and everyone around you, all the closest people to you. Um, and we can't directly see into our hearts. Our hearts are kind of closed off to us. But what we can see in our hearts, we can see what comes out of them, can't we? If you think about your mind and you see things that come out of, out of your heart, um, in uh, Matthew 15, Jesus talks about out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders and things like that. So out of our hearts come our thoughts and our emotions and our uh, temptations and our desires. And we see these not by looking directly in our heart, but by turning them over in our minds. And from our minds, right, we make decisions that end up in uh, words and actions. These are your words and actions. Your heart, mind, words, actions. And, um, and we know that if, uh, in Romans 12, it says that our minds actually can have an effect on our hearts to make our hearts even purer and better. Uh, Romans 12 says that if we we can renew our minds. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what we choose to dwell on in our minds, especially as we dwell in Scripture, has the effect of cleansing our hearts. It can make our hearts better over time. That's why Scripture is so important. It's so important to meditate on the Word, because if we do that, that actually has a cleansing power on the, on the deep innards of our heart. Um, Philippians talks about what we allow our minds to think about affects our hearts. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent. If anything is praiseworthy, think on these things. So Philippians 4, verse 8 would be another thing that says, so our minds affect our hearts. Our hearts give um, rise to our thoughts and our emotions. 
And then our actions actually show our hearts as well. I mean, how many of you guys have done or said things that didn't really go through your mind? They went straight out of your heart, okay? That happens, right? Sometimes things just arise specifically out of there, especially our words, right? I mean, how many of you guys have said before something and thought, immediately said after that, I don't know where that came from. It wasn't me. It's not what I'm, I don't think that. I don't feel that way. I don't know why I ever said that to you. Some of you may be on the way here. Jesus, the master teacher about the heart, told, tells us exactly where it came from. He says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. And so Jesus describes our hearts as if it's like a cup filled to the brim with water, and when someone bumps you, stuff spills out. That stuff was in your heart, okay? Those things we say actually have arisen out of our hearts. And so here we could put Matthew 12, 34 through 35. Um, and so, uh, so that's, how, that's how we know the condition of our heart. We know the condition of our heart by what comes out into our minds, our thoughts, emotions, temptations, and desires. And we know also sometimes because words and actions come straight out. Have you ever heard people say things like, oh, that guy has no filter? Well, of course you do. You just had the holidays, right? And say somebody, you know, oh, that person has no filter. As if that the thing that we really need, guys, is somehow to put a filter right here, right? That's not the solution, right? That's not the solution to what we say. It's not a filter. I don't need a filter. I need a clean heart. If I have a clean heart, then whatever spills out is going to benefit everybody around me. Do you see why we want to target the heart? The heart is so vital to target because we want the kind of hearts that things naturally flow out that are good for people around it. We want to keep our hearts just like that desert spring so that what flows out of them actually gives life to people around us. And, and this word flow that's in here is actually a really helpful word because the word flow here kind of gives the sense of it being automatic. The things just come out of us all the time. Things are coming out, whether in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our, in our words. Um, that, that automatic process of just things pouring out of us, the Bible calls our character. Our character, Dallas Willard says, our character is the internal overall structure of the self that reveals itself in long-run patterns of behavior and from which our actions arise more or less automatically. Our hearts more or less automatically flow with things. That's why in our culture we believe in credit reports. We believe in credit reports because we, we believe that the heart kind of operates the same way all the time. That's why we believe in uh, job references and things like that. It's because you're not a new person every day. You're not like totally starting fresh every day. There's an accumulation of the way you've kept or not kept your heart that has effects on your life all the time. And we can see that the heart gets better or worse in Scripture. I mean, Solomon's a great example of the heart growing worse, right? Solomon starts off, you know, wise man heart for the Lord, and then what happens is heart gradually moves away from the Lord. His heart got worse over time. Our hearts are always getting better or worse. You think about Peter as a good example of a heart improving. You know, we see over time his heart becoming more and more pure and more and more after God. The good news is, though, guys, is that our character, the internal structure of our hearts, can be changed over time by spirit-empowered effort. That God has given us a way to pursue him in such a way that our hearts over time can be transformed and become more and more like the character of Jesus. That's super good news. It is super good news that God is about, in us, changing our character to make it more and more like Christ so that what flows out is more and more like his life. It is his life, right? And so the, the benefit of that and the good news of that is, is that the level of temptation you have in any particular area right now is not permanent. I think this is hugely important for people. As you're first starting to battle a particular habitual sin, you could think, man, the level of temptation I have right now, like, 
I don't think I can resist this the rest of my life. You know, like if it's about me resisting this temptation at this level for the rest of my life, I don't think I can do this. The good news of gospel change, guys, is that he changes our character over time. Your level of temptation will lower over time as you keep your heart with vigilance. It, it can be less tempting. And this is especially important when you're dealing with temptations like, like unforgiveness. I mean, the temptation to be bitter and unforgiving is so strong when you first start battling it. But God will, will nibble away at that thing as we keep our hearts, and he will transform our character in that area. Or anger, you know? Some people, I have a short fuse. What's the short fuse? It's a heart that's been allowed to grow more and more angry over time. And the amount of temptation coming out of that seems almost overwhelming. Um, it, it's helpful in the area of lust, whether it's heterosexual lust or homosexual lust, fear, bitterness, all these kinds of things. God will transform your heart if you keep it vigilantly. And that's super good news, isn't it? So you can see why we want to keep the heart. The heart is important because of all that flows out of it. There's things constantly flowing out of it. And I think what happens in religion is that, you know, in gospelist religion is we only focus on the outside and we're constantly just leaving the heart the way it is. That's not what we want to do. Gospelist religion, gospelist religion focuses on trying harder and harder to just do things we don't want to do. That's what it does. It focuses right here. It focuses just on words and actions and filters. I'll introduce another idea to you. There's an author that talks about fruit stapling. This is fruit stapling. Gospel religion is about fruit stapling. Fruit stapling is like this. So you have an orchard growing apples. No apples grow. So what do you do? You go out, you buy apples and a staple gun. And you're going up on the ladder, not me, because I'm afraid of heights, stapling all these apples on these trees, right? And you go, oh, problem solved. That's what gospel religion does, right? Problem with it is, it's exhausting. You can't keep that up. It's not authentic. It won't last. I mean, this fruit's going to die pretty quick. It's not even connected to the tree, right? It's not something that's organic. It's not something that's real. But gospel change, guys, is about changing the heart so that what comes out are, is Christ's life. And, and gospel, uh, gospel change is about changing the heart so that we love the things that Jesus loves and we want to do the things he's commanded. And that's why Jesus talks about him, following him being a, an easy yoke and a light burden. You know, when you first hear that, you know, maybe as a non-Christian or you're just starting to grow in the Lord, you think like, how in, on earth, I've read the Sermon on the Mount, this does not look like an easy yoke or a light burden, right? Following Jesus. Or in 1 John, um, John says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, how does that become that way? It comes from heart transformation. As we more and more love the things Jesus loves and want to do the things that he wants us to do. That's heart change. That's what he offers. And of course, this is a process, right? There's no quick fixes here. If I had a quick fix for all your sin problems, then I am a salesman, <laughs> not a pastor, okay? Um, there, it's a process. It is a slow, painful process, amen? It is a slow, painful process. It is much slower than we want it to be. Uh, it is much slower than our spouses want it to be. It is much slower than our kids want it to be. It's a lot slower than your coworkers want it to be. But it's a process, right? And it's real, though. It's a real process of transformation. God will give us real heart change if we go after it in a biblical, spirit-empowered way. And so one of the things I like to do in the beginning of the year is come up with a heart change goal. And so a heart change goal is something that I, I'm feeling more and more convicted that God wants me to change in my life, and it's something that relates to the heart. And so I have this sentence. I think they might put it up there, but the, the sentence is this. By the end of 2018, I want God to make me the kind of person who naturally, and then I fill in the blank, 
instead of the kind of person who naturally fill in the blank. The word naturally there is not because I don't believe that change is supernatural. Of course it is. The word naturally there is because I want the kind of heart that flows these things, that it just comes out, that it becomes more and more an automatic way that I live. And so you could be, you know, by the end of 2018, I want to be the kind of person who is uh, naturally assumes the best in people instead of being judgmental. Or I want to be the kind of person who extends grace regularly instead of is judgmental. Or I want to be the kind of person who is patient with people instead of responding in anger. Or I want to be the kind of person who sees people as valuable eternal persons instead of being the kind of person who lusts after them. Um, I want to be the kind of person who forgives readily instead of being the kind of person who's bitter regularly. So you see what you do there? You put something in there that is... Um, that is a change that you want God to do in your heart, and then you pursue that change. There actually are ways to pursue God so that he will do that transformation. Not perfectly, okay? I'm not saying this is going to be perfection, but let's be real, guys. You're nowhere near perfection, okay? There is no danger in this room of perfectionism, right? I mean, perfection here, we're here, like, we could go a long ways and not get perfect. Like, don't worry about getting too perfect. It's not going to happen. Okay, we're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about real change. That this process, guys, too, and, it, and the other thing to realize is it requires learning. God's given you a heart, you know, before you came to Christ, you had a heart that was dead to God. Um, when Christ came into your life and, and gave you faith and you trusted in him, he gave you a new heart, right? And he gives you this heart, and you've got to figure out how this thing works. And so Jesus talks about us being his disciples. We're his students. We're learning to do the things he's commanded by the Spirit, by a transformed heart. And so it's a process. It's a process that requires effort. Um, the effort in this passage is the effort needs to be directed to the heart. It's about being vigilant over your heart. And so let's look at the second question. The second question is, how do we keep our hearts? And this passage says here, how do we keep it? He says, with all vigilance. you got to watch it, right? Uh, it's about watching your heart. It's about being vigilant over your heart. Um, we can't directly change our hearts any more than we could do open heart surgery on ourselves. Okay, there was a story I was listening to, I think it was on Radiolab, or I can't remember which one, but it was a guy who was a researcher in Antarctica, he was the only doctor on the, in the crew that was down there, and they couldn't get out of there, and this is many decades ago, and they couldn't evacuate him, terrible storm, he's the only doctor, and he's the one with appendicitis, and so he, you heard this story? He removed his own appendix with the use of mirrors <laughs> and a lot of courage, crazy, okay, you're not going to do open heart surgery on yourself though, right? We cannot change our hearts any more than you could do open heart surgery on you. But you can take part in how God is transforming you if you keep it vigilantly. And so um, a friend of mine, he's, his name's Dustin. We've been friends for like well over 20 years. And he works for USGS, which is U.S. Geological Survey. But he isn't a geologist. He's uh, a geneticist. And so what he does usually is he does animal genetics to determine if they're going to like build a new shopping mall or whatever and there's some lizard there and they're like, but the lizard, you know, and I, I resonate with the, but the lizard. I care about the lizard. He will take genetics of that lizard and ones nearby and figure out if that's a genetically, you know, important population for the overall diversity. But this time, this story I'm going to tell you about, he was collecting scorpions. 
because uh, he does that. And so he's out collecting scorpions in Palm Springs, up above, uh, in the mountains above Palm Springs, in the area where the spring comes from that made Palm Springs, basically. And he's up there, and he's hiking, he's looking for scorpions. Turns out if you do it at night and you use a black light, they glow, because nothing's scarier than glowing scorpions. And so he's up there looking for scorpions, and, um, and he comes upon this area where the spring is. And he's excited about it because he's heard about it. You know, after just a few minutes up there, some guy came out of nowhere. And so what are you doing here? They guard that thing. They guard it because of the purity of that water and the importance of that water source. They don't let people wander around. And he has all these, like, government credentials. He's like, yeah, but USGS. They're like, nope, get out of here. Can't be anywhere near it. They guard that spring vigilantly. Guys, you have been placed as the guard over your own heart. God has given you a new heart, and he's placed you as the guard. You know, a lot of times you want other people to do it. (laughs) You're the guard of your own heart, right? How do we guard it vigilantly? We guard it by watching it. What do we watch it for? Watch it for two things. Just like those guards watch that spring, we watch what's coming out of it, and we watch what's going into it, right? We watch for things that might be coming into it, and we watch for what's coming out of it. First, let's watch what's um, going into it. Watch for things in this year that contaminate the spring of your heart, guys. Some of us are so commonly just contaminating our hearts with all kinds of things, and then we wonder why keeping God's commands are so hard to do. You know, the reason why it's so hard to do is because you've neglected this whole area that kind of flows everything out, and you've just tried really hard here and here. I'm just going to try really hard to think the right thing, do the right thing, you know? And, and what you haven't done is you haven't guarded your heart. Think about things like this. What about news? What about the news you take in? Is it doing good things for your heart? The news. Say, well, I need to be informed. I guess you do. I mean, I don't know that you make a difference whether you're informed or not, but yeah, in a democracy, I guess we need to be informed. But is it making you angry? Does the news make you angry? Do you have a problem with anger? You probably shouldn't be looking at the news then, right? Does it make you more judgmental and critical? Does it make you think of like half of, our, of the population of our country and just say they're just a bunch of snowflakes? Say stuff like that? Be judgmental against people in our country? Do you, does it make you that? Does it polarize you against your own family members? You know, does it do that? Think about the news you take in. Think about your drive home. Is that the best use of your drive home when you're going to come and see whoever lives in your home, whether they're roommates or friends or family? Like, are you preparing your heart to flow onto them by what you took in? Um, does the news make you anxious? There's a woman in our church, like, she was so anxious all the time. I mean, it was making her physically sick. And she was real worried about the whole, you know, North Korea thing. And this is before it got, like, ten times worse, Right. And, um, and, she, and we were talking about it, and I go, well, you know, are you on the news all the time? And she's like, yeah, my phone, it just, all these alerts. So she's getting notifications about Korea, you know? Like, and she had the Apple News app, and that thing, it finds out, like, if you, like a particular politician we won't name gets you really irritated, it'll keep giving you articles about that person. It, it knows, it's got an algorithm. It's like, oh, she likes articles on North Korea, you know? Like, no, she doesn't. And so I said, you know, take the app off your phone. You know, you don't need that thing on there. Think about your heart. Um, what about social media, guys? You think about social media. I mean, we know because there have been multiple studies, social media makes people miserable. Like, there's a certain amount of social media that's fine, but after a certain amount, more hours make people that are more uh, depressed, uh, more uh, discontent with their lives, more suicidal. I mean, it's something that's, you know, in numbers. I'm not saying social media is something you shouldn't do. I'm just saying, what's the dosage? You realize this thing's made to be addictive. You realize that Facebook makes money off how many hours you're on because it can tell its advertisers how much you're on, right? I have this many billion hours of people on here, right? It makes money. So like a coal company makes money mining coal, 
They make money mining your time. And your time is your life. They make money extracting your life. Okay? So, you know, do with that what you want. But um, I'll tell you what I do with it. I mean, it's addictive to everybody, I think. I, when I use it, use my apps, I delete the apps every time. The, the, the burden of downloading the app again and logging in again takes so long that it keeps me from doing it. I'm like, uh, I don't want to look through the browser. That's awful. So does it make you angry? Um, is social media causing uh, lust for you? I had a friend who really wrestles with same-sex attraction, and he was following a bunch of like uh, clothing accounts, which is fine. Dude likes to dress, and he was looking through these things, but what he realized is that that was becoming an occasion of lust for him that he was looking at these things and it was causing loss. It was, I was like really impressed that he like identified that. He's not looking at porn. He's looking at something that though was causing him to lust. I had another friend that followed a bunch of fitness accounts. The idea was see people's results, kind of feel like, all right, let's go to the gym. You know, it was inspiring, right? He realized over time that that was a source of lust for him. He got rid of it. I have friends that don't do Instagram at all because of the whole stupid explore section where it just offers you things, right? Think about your heart. This isn't about me telling you what to do with your media or anything like that. You're the keeper of your heart, not me. I have no idea what your heart does with whatever it does. That's your job. Your job is to keep your own heart. Does it make you covetous? Does it make you feel left out? I mean, that's a huge thing with social media, right? You need to realize how much it's making you feel left out or that somehow you don't have the things other people have. Um, Think about your movies and your shows. We are not the kind of church that's going to tell you what kind of movies and shows you should or shouldn't watch. I'm not going to start a blog that like, tells you what all the dangerous shows are. You're the keeper of your own heart. You're an adult. This is your heart that God's given you. But we do like to rationalize our entertainment, don't we? You go like, ah, oh, I know it's super smutty, but man, the writing is incredible. You know? Oh, what a great story. It's like, hey, it's your heart. You, know? it, you determine what you're pouring into your heart. Um, but he says to keep it with all vigilance. Does a particular show make you discontent? I mean, for some people, it's not good for them to watch home shows. There's nothing wrong with a home show. But if somebody's watching all the time, saying, oh, I, I don't have the right counters. I don't have this. I don't have that, right? People do that with Pinterest, right? Where they're constantly looking at things that they don't have. It makes them discontent. Keep your heart with all vigilance. I'd say with movies and stuff, the rating system, you know, PG, PG-3, that was not created by Jesus for your particular heart. You realize that, right? Like, that was something that who knows who these people are. You need to take charge of what your own heart does on different things. But I'll tell you guys, like, mine this is a delicate system. I can't just throw anything in here and function, right? And so I have to be very careful what I put in there in all areas. And I think more and more we need to realize, like, what actually, I mean, I don't have time to watch something that's going to create a huge issue of lust for weeks. I don't, you got time for that? I don't have time for that, you know? And, and, and the battles that you've won and, and the changes that you've made in your heart and the, the, the purity that God's starting to build in your heart, it's not worth it. We don't have time to go back. We don't want to go back to the way we used to be. We don't want to go back to the temptations we used to have. Um, think about your friends. You know, Josh is going to teach in a couple weeks on friendship. Huge theme in the Proverbs, really important. But the friends you hang out with, do they, do they make you more cynical and judgmental? Or do they make you more encouraged and loving and gracious and, and, and gracious with the failings of others? And this isn't a Christian, non-Christian thing, because I got lots of Christians I could hang out that would contaminate me. <laughs> that would just, you know, by hearing the stuff that flows out of their hearts, if I were to take that in without any discernment, it would make me worse. And I've got tons of Christian, non-Christian friends that, are, that I'll leave them and I'll feel completely hopeful. And, and, you know, in awe of God's creation and encouraged. So, I mean, think about your friends and tell them, like, dude, you know you contaminate me? 
You know, the way that you talk about marriage or the way you talk about your kids or whatever, it's just jacking me up. I get jacked up for days after being with you. Like, if you could just work on that, that'd be great. You know, like, I'm not saying you need a filter. I'm saying you work on that art. Okay, that'd be good friendship, wouldn't it? So thinking about what contaminates it, think about what purifies it. There's what we call the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are things like prayer, fasting, the word, um, solitude, um, worship, giving, serving. These are all things that God's given us as ways to help change our hearts. They're ways that actually give us grace that transforms our hearts. Prayer is a good one. Think about prayer. Instead of having that constant monologue in my own mind about my own problems and my own struggles, to turn that to the Lord, to pour out your heart to God. You think about the Word. The Word is one of the greatest opportunities you have for heart transformation. The Bible tells us, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a promise, guys. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, and I don't know how it all works, but if you would like soak your mind and really meditate and really dwell and really savor and chew right the Scriptures and really take them in, that it will actually transform your heart. I don't know how it works, but it works. Um, and we have that right here, right? Transforms your heart as it goes. Um, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That verse is saying that as you take in scripture, especially as you memorize it, if you memorize scripture lately, as you memorize scripture, it actually becomes part of the internal architecture of your heart. Isn't that cool? It actually becomes some of the beams and some of the decoration in your heart. Those verses do. They become a part of you, core part of you. Why not do this? Think in this next year, maybe start with memorizing like 1 Corinthians 13 or, or Romans 6 or Colossians 3 or, you know, there's tons of options, but it becomes a part of your very heart. Um, fasting is a discipline that we can be involved in this next year. Fasting helps to focus our hearts. I don't know if you've done it much. There's a lot of ways to do it wrong. Just try it. If you do it wrong, it's fine. We're learners, right? We're disciples. We're learning to do these things. But fasting, what it's supposed to do is focus our hearts on God, Right? That, that as we feel that hunger and all that stuff, that we direct that to God and we remind ourselves we're hungry for God. We feast our souls on him and we're seeking strength from him instead of our food. Um, solitude would be something we almost all of us need to practice. You know how you practice solitude? Without this, okay? You practice it without your phone, right? You need to leave your phone somewhere. And you think like, I can't do that. Are you a heart surgeon? No, <laughs> right? Are you a first responder? No. You can leave your phone. You know what? No one needs you. Seriously, no one needs you. If you're a little kid, you have somebody take care of your little kid, that's it. No one needs you. We all have 911. We have the internet. We'll be fine. We don't need you. You need to go away, though, and be alone with God. You need to shut out all the other voices and, and turn away from all the other eyes of the world and, and dwell in his presence. No one needs you. Isn't that freeing? They don't need you. Awesome. Service. Service is a spiritual discipline that helps our hearts. I mean, we're a church plant, and in a church plant, everybody needs to row. I mean, it's a boat. If, if everybody's not rowing, we will sink. We have almost sunk multiple times <laughs> due to lack of rowing, okay? We're, we're rowing fine now, okay? But we need everybody to be involved. Serving, it helps our hearts, um, and it's good for us. It's good for us to be this kind of church. In a big established church, you think they have staff for that, to take care of it. But serving's good for our hearts, right? Giving. Jesus said that our hearts follow our money. And so if you're thinking like, I don't know that I care as much as I should about missions, give to some missions, and guess what? Your heart cares. Your heart follows like, a, like the needle on a compass to magnetic north. Your heart always follows your money. 
And so if you're needing more of a desire to love for the church or the poor or for missions, give to it. It will change your heart. Um, Worship. This gathering, guys, it says in Hebrews 6, is where we taste the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. This meeting is a heart-transforming meeting. And so that's something that we should practice. Fellowship. Do you have a friend that knows your soul and knows where you're at, where your heart's at, and wants to encourage you along the way? Do you have a friend like that? Most Christians say no. Most Christians do not have a friend like that, and that's why there's so little heart transformation. You need that kind of a friend. Um, And so those are some disciplines we could practice. Think about that for this next year. What will you practice? Last part, and I'm going to be quick, is this. We need to watch what's coming out, too. Just like that guard would watch who's coming to that spring that gave all the water to Palm Springs, um, they would kept dusting out, you know, it's danger. Um, they also, they sample that water. They sample that water and see what's coming out of it. Matthew 15, 18, it says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. A part of keeping our hearts is taking water samples. And what do we do when we take a water sample of our heart? We're, we're trying to figure out, uh, what does our heart worship? What does our heart love? It'll show you. What does my heart really love? What does my heart really worship? If you want to change your life, you've got to change what you worship. And, and what, what we need to do as we pursue this kind of change, we need to identify and unseat the idols of the heart. The idols of the heart, guys, are things that we worship. We are all like, oh, but I worship Jesus. You do. Some of the time, some of the time you worship something else, and those are called idols. And idols can be really good things like comfort, security, control, pleasure, approval of others. These aren't bad things. It's totally human to want those. It's totally fine to want those. The problem is, is that our hearts begin to worship them. Our hearts begin to grab a hold of them. They, they start to become more important to us than they should be. Um, to see what your heart worships, see what makes it angry. What makes my heart angry? That tells me what it worships. In, in James 4.1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire but do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What, is my, what makes my heart angry? Anger is basically that somebody is taking my idol. <laughs> you have my idol? You know, I'm going to be angry at you. What makes you anxious? Anxiety is your idol slipping away. You're like, whoa, 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 right? Your idol's getting away from you. That's what, that causes anxiety. What makes you anxious? It shows what you worship. What makes you covetous? Covetousness is somebody else has my idol. Somebody took it from me. Somebody has it. When I'm on social media and I see people's like 11th vacation this year, and I think, does this person ever work? Where does all this money come from? That is my idol, right? That's my idol. It's making me covetous. Um, what makes you feel miserable? Misery is that your idol seems unattainable. What's making me miserable? These things show what I worship. Idols are good things that become way too important to us. In the New Testament, there's this word epithumia, which means over-desire. It's a word that's translated lust, but it has a more broad sense of over-desire. That I'm grabbing a hold of something and holding on to it too tightly. It's become my thing of worship. And one way to show that is, uh, I think Paul Tripp has this image of like, these things to desire comfort or security or pleasure, all these things is fine, but yeah, hold it with an open hand. So hold it with an open hand. That's healthy. You know, God gives us stuff. God takes things away. You got an open hand about it. But what happens with idolatry is that I slowly curl my hands around it. It goes from I want to I need to I 
must have, <laughs> right? This is my precious, right? You know, Smeagol, you think about him, like when he got a hold of the ring, you see what it did to him? You see how it destroyed how he looked? He used to be an adorable hobbit. You realize that, right? <laughs> and he became Gollum because of the idol. The idol was making him sick. And, and, and these symptoms that we see in our hearts are the sickness of our idols. I got this um, question in my Bible that I have in the back of my Bible, and it's this. What do you want so badly today? This is a question I ask myself. What do you want so badly today that it's making you miserable, anxious, covetous, bitter, or angry? It's a diagnostic question. Because you see those things, those are symptoms. They're symptoms of idolatry. And so I ask myself that question, and then I have this written to myself. What is making you sick of soul? That is the idol you need to repent of today. Keeping our hearts vigilantly is seeing those things. Then we call out to God, right? We say, Father, I don't want this idol in my heart. I don't want this to be the thing that I have to have. I know you don't want this either. We agree. Lord, please take this from me. I know that this idol is promising things that are, I, I already have in huger ways in you. Show me that. Help me to let go of this thing. Forgive me. Give me the power to, to, to change and to let go of this. Give me your thoughts and emotions. You realize that you're united with Christ, that you can have his thoughts and emotions. And to ask the Lord, give me Christ's thoughts and emotions for this. And we do that. We do that throughout the day over and over again, right? We, we confront our idols. We don't just see the symptoms and go, I'm angry. I'm angry because people are so frustrating, okay? No, that's explaining away. I'm angry because I have an idol. What is my idol? I need to confess it to the Lord. Guys, only in the gospel can we do that. Only in the gospel can we be honest about our idols. You know, religion's all about denial and just, you know, saying that I'm this way because of other people. The gospel allows us to look full into the face of our idols and confess them to God. Tim Keller says that the gospel shows us that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, but in Christ we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Only if you have that can you be honest with God and with each other about what's in your heart. Because it doesn't matter, right? God loves and he accepts you in this. And so gospelist religion is all about fruit stapling and filters and denying, whereas the gospel is about being real with where we're at. And, and about because we're real with God and repenting of these things regularly, that, you're, that God is over time, he's cleaning the inside of the cup and the rest takes care of itself. That's what Jesus said. The inside of the cup's clean. If the heart's clean, this stuff will take care of itself. It's to pursue the heart. That's what Jesus has instructed us to do. I want to give you one last thing on this, and that is, in the beginning, when you start to do this, kind of deal with your internal life like in this way and repent of heart idolatry, one of the things that I think is a real problem is that we become so accustomed to our sinful thoughts and our idolatry inside. It's like white noise, you know? Uh, for a guy that's really starting to go after and battle the heart lust that he has, it's like white noise, just something that that's the way inside of his heart's always sounded, Right? Um, for unforgiveness, when you first realize, like, Jesus commanded me to forgive people, and I need to forgive this person, you'll realize that you've had this bitterness that's churned over, and you do it all day long and don't even notice it. And so uh, a guy that I know of, uh, an author, he had this thing that I thought was super helpful. It's called the four portions of the day. So four times a day, he goes through a checkpoint. And they're easy checkpoints. It's when you wake up, it's when you eat lunch, it's uh, the evening, which he would have like his drive home, or if you're already at home, you know, as you're waiting for people to come home, or as you're preparing dinner. And then there was the night watches as he's falling asleep. So four portions of the day, you have morning, noon, evening, and night watches. And what do you do is every time he gets to that point, he'd come before the Lord, and he'd, he'd look for three things. And he has an acronym, so it's ACTS. So it's attitudes, cares, and thanksgiving. 
okay? So attitudes. What kind of attitudes am I carrying around? You know, you wake up in the morning. What am I, you know, I have lots of attitude in the morning, right? What is my attitude this morning that I need to confess before God, you know, to stop at that checkpoint? What are my cares? What are my fears? You know, I got lots of fears so that I can go through that checkpoint, go through all my fears, hand them over to the Lord, right? Um, And then Thanksgiving, great plan, four times a day to be thankful, right? Thanksgiving, and he'll do this that four times a day. It's kind of like when you uh, go between states and there's a checkpoint, or when you come into a new country and they say, do you have anything to declare? It's your opportunity to say, yeah, I'd like to declare I'm freaking out. You know, I'd like to declare that I am freaking out right now. And you come before the Lord and you tell him your cares. Or, yes, I have something to declare. I have, I have something to declare that I am, like, murderously angry at my children, right? That would be a good thing to declare. Declare, you hand that over to the Lord. And as you do that, that's keeping your heart with vigilance. And he's making that water inside clearer. More and more, we have a true heart of love for God and for others. And so what's your growth plan for this year? I think this is super important. Last day of the year, think through it. Think through, be specific. What's your heart change goal? What do you want, what are you seeing that God is impressing upon you that you need to change in your heart this year? You're like, I got a ton of things to change. Pick the biggest one, okay? Pick the biggest one. Go after that thing. Take specific action. If you've been contaminating your heart in some way, stop doing it. Guys, some of us have been regularly pooping in the well, and then wondering why the water tastes so bad, okay? You have to stop doing that, okay? What's contaminating your heart? I knew you'd love that. What's contaminating your heart, guys, all year long? And then you go, oh, the Christian life's so hard. It's so hard because you're dumping sewage in your heart regularly. It will, it's still going to be hard. It will be much easier without the sewage, okay? So what, cut those things. What spiritual disciplines are you going to add? How are you going to take in Scripture? Are you going to memorize Scripture and soak in Scripture? Maybe you'll take on the four portions of the day. None of these are laws. These are, these are tools. And so think through for your particular heart what you need to do. Lastly, you can't have a changed heart until you have a new heart. Jesus came and lived and died and was raised to give you a new heart. When you look in Ephesians 2, it says that before you were in Christ, your heart was dead to God. And there is no renovating dead hearts, okay? You don't take something that's dead and try and, like, fix it, make it better. Maybe taxidermy, okay? But that's not functional. You had a dead heart. You can't renovate a dead heart. But you know what's cool? 600 years before Jesus came, God gave his people this beautiful promise. Let me read it for you as we close. It's in Ezekiel 36, and he said this to them. I will take you from the nations and gather you all from the countries and bring you to your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. Speaking of forgiveness, right? He's going to forgive us. He's going to sprinkle clean water on us with his blood. He's going to take away all of our sin, all of your uncleanness, and from all the idols, I will cleanse you. And then listen to the other benefit. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you that you may be caused to walk on my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, and you will dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I'll be your God. Isn't that awesome? What an amazing gift to be cleaned and to be given a new heart that can be transformed and made new, a heart for you to keep, a heart for you to keep by the power of the Spirit so that more and more it oozes the life of Jesus from it. Guys, but this gift was costly. This gift of a new heart was costly. It cost God himself, the Son of God, becoming a real human being in a real human body with a real human heart and a real human mind and real human actions and words, all of which were perfectly sinless. Isn't that amazing? 
and a heart that had no contamination in it whatsoever. And in all of his thoughts, I mean, Jesus wasn't just perfect in his words and deeds. He was perfect in everything he thought, right? Everything he thought, he was righteous. And that man died on the cross to cleanse us from our sins, to sprinkle us clean, and to give us new hearts. On the cross, Jesus Christ was pierced through his physical heart to give you a new spiritual heart, a heart that can be uh, transformed over time. Let's take great care of this. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.